Our sermon passage today comes from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get it very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. If you haven't already, please take your Bible and turn to the book of 2 Timothy in chapter 3. Um, for those of you that are visiting, our, our method of preaching is to work straight through books of the Bible. So um, it's important that you know that this passage chose us and not we choosing it. Um, it was the next passage that we came to. And so um, we're not just starting 2019 with a, a sledgehammer over the head to talk about sin and all that stuff. Um, I did tell Dan to please get lots of gospel in the songs because we are going to talk about sin and all that stuff. Um, but, but this is a really, really vital and important passage for us to wrestle with. And here's what we see in this passage. First of all, we see that the cause of hardship in our world is from rebellion against God. Second, we see that the church needs to fight to make sure that rebellion against God does not reign within it. And third, we see that Jesus is the answer for the world and for the church. So in short, if, if you're not really interested in listening to me talk for the next 30 or so minutes, but you want to sound at lunch like you listened today, I'm going to help you. What this passage tells us is if we know Christ, that in us, in our families, in the church, we cannot let rebellion against God reign because Jesus reigns. And the goal for us is for Jesus and the power of his gospel to reign within us. That's the truth that this passage would call us to grapple with. The sermon is entitled, Appearance or Power? And it comes from verse 5. And we'll, we'll come there in a few minutes. But Paul says that he is concerned about those who may have the appearance of godliness but don't know the power 
of the gospel. And this morning, we want you to know Jesus. We want you to know the power of the transformation that comes through Christ. It's so all of our talk about sin and rebellion is an invitation to be delivered. So, with that in mind, let's look at this passage. Let's, let's see what it says to us and for us. And let's see if we can um, make a way forward for ourselves. So the first point, if you are a note taker, is recipe for disaster. Recipe for disaster. Now, this book, 2 Timothy, was written by a man named Paul, who was a starter of churches, and in many ways a pastor of pastors, to a man named Timothy, who was a pastor of the church in Ephesus. And it was written from a pastor to a pastor to help a pastor lead a congregation. And so with that in mind, Paul wants to help Timothy help the Ephesians look like and glorify Jesus. And I would say that Paul wants us to hear these truths so that we can look like and glorify Jesus. And so the, the first thing that Paul is addressing is a time of difficulty, a time of suffering, a time of peril, a time of pain in the life of Timothy and in the life of this church in Ephesus. And what Paul says is there will be such times. Paul's writing to Timothy in a time of difficulty, and the reason that he's writing to him in this time of difficulty is to help him understand why there are such times of difficulty and to understand what the cause of it is and to understand what to do about it. And in short, what Paul is going to tell Timothy is to believe his Bible and to believe his truth. Because if you want to kind of know a simple understanding of all of the scripture, it might go like this. There is a God who created everything, everything, including humanity. Actually, this humanity was the crown of his creation. He put his image into us in a way that he did no one else. But that humanity chose to rebel against its creator. It chose to turn away from him. It chose to pursue a better path. Better path, in air quotes. It chose to make its own way. It chose to disobey his word. And the scripture tells us, that's actually the first three chapters of the Bible, so I don't know how well you're doing on your Bible reading plan this year, but if you got through the first three chapters, like you're, you're in it. You're in it. Because at that point, the problem is out there. It's all broken. From that point forward, sin begins to expand and take root and grow and brokenness spreads throughout the world such that God's people need a Savior and it needs a hope and its Savior is Jesus. And so in short, what Paul is telling Timothy is believe your Bible. Believe that God is good. Believe that the world is broken. Believe that the sin is the problem. Believe that death is the problem. And believe that Jesus is the answer to all of it. Now, this is how we get that. He says there will be times of difficulty. And I think this is really important for us to get our minds around. Any idealist here besides me? Yeah? No, I see some smiles, but you won't dare raise your hand. Okay, that's fine. I see you out there. Idealist? Thank you. We got one in the back. I'm just going to talk to me and you, Ken. 
Everybody else, this is just for us, okay? But this is what we do as American idealists. We set goals. And we think, if I can just achieve that goal, then utopia and bliss and peacefulness awaits me on the other side. And that's the problem with New Year's resolutions. Well, I guess the first problem is we fail to keep them. The second problem is we can't keep them. But the third problem is we set them up to do what they can never do. So perhaps some of you on December 31st looked in the mirror, got on the scales, and went, dude, I could drop about 15. I know I did. So if that's your endeavor, I'm with you. I'm with you. Let's drop 15. But if we drop 15, our pants will fit better, and we might look better up here on the stage, But our lives are not going to be perfect. Because this world is not our home. And the Lord never wants us to mistake this fallen, broken world for His everlasting, eternal home. So times of difficulty will always be here to remind us that this is not our home. So maybe it wasn't physique. Maybe it's if I could just get over this one hurdle in my job. Or you students, man, you're the worst about this. If I can just finish middle school... High school is going to be awesome. And then if I can just finish high school, I have freedom, I get to move out of the house, everything's going to be awesome. And this is the one that just I still to this day can't get my mind around. If I can just finish college and get a real job. No. Because after every hurdle, There will be difficulty, not because God isn't good, but because we live in a fallen world and he wants us to love something better than this fallen world. Maybe that's all you need to get today. Latch onto it, pray about it. It'll change the way you think. But Paul tells us why there, he tells Timothy and us why there's going to be such difficulty. And he gives us two reasons. One, because we live in the last days and two, because sin is rampant in the last days. Now, I say last days Because Paul said last days, and most of you go, oh no, here we go, end times talk, come out the the end times charts and all that stuff, and that is unhelpful and unneeded. When the scripture says the last days, this is all it means. It means we live in a time between when Jesus came the first time and when he comes again. So at Christmas, we just celebrated that Jesus came to be born of a virgin To live as a man who totally accomplished and fulfilled God's law. And then he gave his life, a life that deserved glory and honor. He gave his life as a sacrifice on a cross to pay the penalty for sin for all who would ever believe in him. And then he rose the third day to say, I have defeated death and I have defeated sin. And I am the victor and there is hope in me. That's what Jesus did. But he also said, I'm going to leave you. And I'm going to come again. And so when the Bible says the last days, it just simply means we live in this in-between time. And in the in-between time, Jesus has defeated death. Jesus has defeated sin. Jesus does offer salvation to all who will believe in him. Jesus does send his spirit to dwell within his people. Jesus is building his church. But there is a world at large that is opposed to God, that is a to God's ways, and in this in-between time that the Bible calls the last days, both God's kingdom and the kingdom of the world are going to move forward until Jesus comes again. And so I think what Paul is telling Timothy, just with that little phrase, in the last days, he's saying, remember 
We live in this in-between time where sin and death still carry on, where, where Jesus hasn't vanquished everything. And then he goes into this massive list of sins and rebellion against God. Now, anybody here hoping that I'll go through all 20 of them one by one and define them and ask you to pray about your posture there? Anybody? Anybody? Good, we don't have time for that. Go to community group this week. Y'all can do that there, okay? But here's the thing. I think that this huge list is for Paul to remind us that the problem is sin and death and Jesus has cured So when he goes on this list about lovers of money, lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. How many of you thought Twitter? That's Twitter? Okay, just like two of us? Okay. That went over better in the first service. I guess all the social media junkies are in the first service. But what Paul is saying is remember that rebellion against God is what broke the world. And remember that Jesus has fixed it. He's overcome it. And he's the Lord over it. And I believe that when the Bible points out that the fallenness of the world, the purpose is not for us to go tisk tisk, you're wrong, you're terrible, get right or get burned. I believe the purpose is for us to go, oh, that's why that person is hurting so much, because they need Jesus. Oh, that's why that family is so broken, because Jesus is the only solution for that family. Oh, with great compassion, I can walk with you through your hardship and your suffering and your sin and your brokenness, because I know that... If it were not for the grace of God, I would be right there with you, but there is a better way. And so when the Bible gives us these long lists of sinfulness, it's not so that we can take a moral high ground and look down on others, but it's so that we can look at others and say, I know that Jesus delivers from such things. And guys, if I can just do a little bit of a pastoral aside, I tend to always do those this way, so I'm going to do this one this way, okay? I can do just a little bit of an aside. We, as the church of Jesus at large, have a long, long way to go on this front. We are not morally superior people who get to look down our noses at those who are stuck in sin and brokenness. We're broken, sinful people who've been delivered by the blood of Christ, and he offers it to all. we got to get our heart right on this front. We have to get our heart right on this front, and we have to recognize, though, that rampant sin is a problem in the world. Now, often we talk about sin as, as do's or don'ts, but sin is more of a matter of the heart. It's more a matter of disposition. And what Paul says in this passage, in this long list of 20 things, is that rebellion against God is a matter of misguided love. It's a matter of misguided love. Jesus told us that it would be the will of God that we would love God 
above all else and that we love our neighbor as ourselves. That's Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40. But what Paul says is this rebellion that has broken the world is characterized not by love of God and love of others, but by self-love and by pleasure-seeking and by whatever I want, however I want, for all of my goodness. Just, just, Just walk through this with me. Look at how many times he points to love. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money. I love myself above all else. I love my possessions. At the beginning of verse 3, my version of Scripture, the ESV, says heartless. But it's a word that literally means without love. Without love. And then going a little further, not lovers of good, lover of pleasure, rather than lover of God. And so what Paul is saying is that the issue with the world is a disposition problem. It's a motivation problem. It's an internal problem. We love, we love me some me. And I'll do whatever I can to elevate me. Because I want me to be happy. And if I have to trample you so that I can be happy, who cares? Because I love me some me. That's maybe a little more bold than we say it. We love to nuance it. But the reality is what what is wrong is our love. And Christians, friends who are here who are not a part of the faith, the love of self and the pursuit of self-gratification and self-joy and self-pleasure in all things is a tiring, weary Endeavor that causes us to collapse and and just cannibalize ourselves. And so Jesus didn't come to take the fun out of life. He came to bring life to life. He came to bring real joy to life. He came to bring real peace to life. And that comes by being freed from self-love and delivered over to the love of God and the love of others as our highest Now, Christians, when we read these passages like this, we need to remember this one truth. God's good ways are best. God's good ways are best. Lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to your parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lover of pleasure rather than lover of God. What Paul is ultimately saying in in the context of the scriptures is there is a better way. God's way is best. There's more joy in following after God and serving others than there is in serving me. There's more pleasure in knowing God and knowing the power of the gospel and knowing the power of the cross than there is in how much pleasure I can squeeze out of life. Second, When we see these lists, we must remember that we as Christians are not immune from this same type of self-love and self-pleasure giving and 
seeking our way over God's way. And we're not immune from these types of things. And so the Lord would call us to align ourselves with him. And that leads us to the second point. So the recipe for disaster is rampant sin in the last days, bringing times of hardship and difficulty everywhere. The second point is pretending in disaster. Because this passage is actually not talking about the world at all. It's talking about people inside the church who are deceived and who are destroying the church and who are living in these patterns of of unbroken um, sin and rebellion against God. And so what Paul says in verse 5, I'm going to pause for a minute. Um, Hey, Stephen, could you get the air on a little bit? I'm about to need a Gatorade up here, and I can see some of you guys like doing this. Um, Thank you, Stephen. You're our hero today. We won't sing. But what Paul is cautioning, and this this is a hard word, but it's in the Scripture. What he is cautioning is that everybody who comes into the people of God and plays along with the people of God is not necessarily a child of God. What Paul is cautioning is that there are people who come into the people of God and do the external things, come to the services, sing the songs, pray the prayers, say the amens, put money in the offering plate, vote by a particular party, stand on moral high ground, and it's all a show because in the heart they are dead and they are lovers of self and they're just using Jesus to get something out of Jesus. And Paul says, don't be one of those. He actually says, avoid such people. But the implication is, we need to be the people who know the power of God. So verse 5, if you're one to mark in your Bible, if you're one to underline things or highlight things, highlight this, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. And what Paul is talking about are wolves in sheep's clothing. He's talking about people who come into the body but know nothing of the ways of the saving power of Jesus. The power of God is that Jesus saves, Jesus forgives, Jesus delivers, Jesus brings life, Jesus changes who we are, Jesus changes our heart, Jesus changes our desires. And if we don't know that power, we're just playing church. John Stott says it this way, so I'm going to let his word be clearer. Stott says, evidently, there were those in Ephesus who attended the worship services of the church. They sang the hymns, said amen to the prayers, and put their money in the offering plate. They looked and sounded pious, but it was form without power, outward show without inward reality, religion without morals, faith without works. It was just people trying to play church to get something out of church. And friends, I don't say this to shame anyone, but I say this to say, I want you to not settle for the outward appearance of godliness, but to know the transforming power of Jesus who changes everything. And do you know what's rampant in Hendersonville, Tennessee in 2019? Playing church 
and doing outward appearance of godliness without knowing its power. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're here today because somebody bludgeoned you into being here. And you're like, I just got to do outward appearance. Thank you for being here. Thank you. But if I could encourage you with one thing, just be honest about it. Just be honest. If you don't like the Lord, you don't like his word, you don't like his ways, you don't like his truth, I would rather you be honest about it than fake it. Because faking it is hurting the church. And faking it is hurting the testimony of Christ in this community. And faking it is causing others to run away. Let's stop faking it. Often evangelism and ministry and mission in the suburbs of middle Tennessee will involve getting people unchristianized before we can get them to Jesus. It will involve getting people separated from outward performance before we can get them to the gospel of Jesus that saves and delivers. So I would just say, let's stop faking it. But let's also remember that Jesus died to save fakers. He died to save rebels. He died to save the worst of the worst. And he died to save those who grew up in the church from cradle until grave. And we all need Jesus. The point of this is we all need Jesus. But also the point of it is to recognize that just because people do the outward thing doesn't mean they have the Christ on the inside. And so there's this following thing about be careful about the wolves in sheep's clothing. Be careful about those who deceive. Be careful about those who stand against God's way and against God's truth. And so what I want to say is let's be careful too. First, let's be careful that we're not those who only have the outward appearance of godliness, but don't know the power of Jesus. And second, let's make it our mission and our message and our living goal to proclaim the power of Jesus and not religious performance before God. So first, let's make it our goal to know the power of the gospel. So I think Paul is assuming that there will be people in every church who are deceived. I think Paul is assuming that there will be people in every church who are just doing the outward show and don't know the power. So I want to give you some diagnostic questions to help you wrestle with, do I know the power of the gospel? Number one. When was the last time you were brought to worship? I don't mean when was the last time you were physically drugged into this room. That's not what I mean. What I mean is when was the last time that being presented with who God is, being presented with the glories of the cross, being presented with his grace and his mercy, you within your soul said, yes, that is true, and I believe it, and I feel the power of it, and I'm filled with joy, and I'm filled with awe. Thank you, God. And if we weren't so stoic here, you might even put your hands in the air, right? Like, like, like when was the last time that happened in your life? As you were reading the scripture, or as you were singing, or as you were praying, or as you were in a worship gathering, when's the last time that you got overcome with worship? Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Because those who know the power of the gospel experience being overcome 
with worship. And if that's something you've never experienced, ask God to allow you to experience his power and being brought to worship. A second diagnostic question. When was the last time you were utterly humbled before the cross of Jesus? Not just like, oh, yeah, 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 I know Jesus died. Praise the Lord. My sins are... No, no, I mean like, like you were fighting with your spouse and you were ugly and your heart was ugly and your words were ugly and you just had to fall down and say, I'm an ugly person, but the cross of Jesus has forgiven that sin and I am so thankful. When was the last time you were brought to that kind of humility before the cross of Jesus? It doesn't have to be a spouse. It can be a friend, a loved one. It can just be your own heart. But when was the last time you were brought to that kind of, I need Jesus, he's my only hope, and I am so thankful because I am so humbled. Third, when was the last time you confessed sin? When was the last time you confessed sin? Christians don't have to hide our sin. We believe that God knows it already. Jesus died for it. We have been forgiven, and we are free to confess and walk in reconciliation with God and with others. So Christians confess our sin. When's the last time you confessed your sin to God? When's the last time you confessed your sin to others? And I don't mean this like, oh, I know I'm a bad person, but thank, thank God. No, I mean like, I am ungrateful. That's in the middle of verse 2. I just picked that one. I'm ungrateful. I'm so ungrateful. God, I confess that I am ungrateful. I see all the things you've given me, and I am thankful for them. God, forgive my ungratefulness. God, make me. That's what I mean by repentance. Like, Like, name it. Be specific. Get into the details of it. And ask God to deliver you there, because Christians who know the power of the gospel can go there. And those who are just doing the appearance of godliness can't get within a mile of that, because we're scared to death. So if we believe that this whole pretending thing is true, we will make sure that we know the power of the gospel. And secondly, then, we will make sure that as a church, we celebrate the power of the gospel. What does Redeemer Church need to be known for? The power of Jesus to change people. The power of Jesus to make all things new. The power of Jesus to give life. We don't need to be known for services. We don't need to be known for ministries. We don't need to be known for size or baptism or numbers. We don't need to be known for having awesome community groups. We don't need to be known for having great teachers. We don't need to be known for anything except Jesus is at work and Jesus saves and his power is real there and his power is evident there. That's what we need to be known for. So tonight, we're going to have a covenant gathering. That's a meeting where we talk about the life of our church. And we have some really good reports to share. People report, excellent right now. Ministry reports, excellent. Financial reports, overwhelmingly excellent. Giving campaign report, overwhelmingly excellent. But you know what? Country clubs can have all of that. But what they don't have is Jesus. So if we don't have the power of Jesus, that's all empty and stupid. 
But if we have the power of Jesus and that immense blessing, we can celebrate like crazy. This is a church that must be known for the power of the gospel. And we make that known in how we talk, how we pray, how we invite, and how we share. The good news for all of us is that the gospel of Jesus is the answer. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, this same Paul wrote it this way. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, now look at the end there. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. To bring that truth into this passage, to the Jew first, do, do, do you hear what he's saying? To those who are the physical descendants of Abraham, to those who feel like they have it all together because they have all the outward things lined up right and they, they follow all the, raw, the laws rightly, what does Paul say? The gospel of Jesus is the power of God to salvation to those who have the appearance of godliness but don't know his power. So Jesus saves hypocrites, praise the Lord. Jesus saves fakers, praise the Lord. And today, some of us might need to be delivered from being fakers, but Jesus also saves the Greeks. That was the one who were far from God, who knew they were far from God, who didn't care about the God of Israel. And Jesus came to be the power of God for them too. We all need the power of God that comes through Christ. And this is what we are called to be known for and live for and pursue in our lives. So, Father, I pray that you would take these words that have been spoken this morning and I pray that you would use them to bear much fruit. Whatever needs to be done in anyone's heart, mind, or life today, I pray that you would do it because you're the one who does. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, friends, we are going to take uh, what we call the Lord's Supper. This is a meal, bread in a cup, which Jesus gave to his church to remember our only hope is the power of the gospel. Our only hope is Christ. And so here at Redeemer, in keeping with the tradition of Jesus, we invite those who are Christians, those who are believers in Jesus for salvation, to take the bread and the cup with us as a way to say, I need Christ, and Christ is all I have. If you're here with us today and you're, you're not a Christian, you're not a follower of Jesus, we would ask that you, you let the bread and the cup pass because there's nothing magical in the appearance of bread and cup. This is a celebration of what Christ has done in us. But we would say that today, you can know Christ. And so while we're taking the bread and the cup, I would just ask you to wrestle with this question. What would it look like for me to know Christ? What would it look like for me to know the power of his saving grace? And maybe you could even speak to God and say, God, would you save me? Would you deliver me? Would you forgive me? Would you make all things new in me? That's a prayer that he would hear. So at this time, some guys are going to come and pass the bread and the cup. We're going to sing, and I'll come back in a few minutes, and we'll take the elements together.